Hello and welcome to another uh, Political Yetis Politics podcast. I am James Miller. Uh, I am a bit late this week with the podcast, but that is for reasons out with my control. I've been to Scotland. Uh, we'll maybe discuss that um, in next week's podcast, what I learned there. Um, but this week I am uh, delighted to be joined by uh, Oliver Eilot, Senior Researcher at the Institute for Government. Hello, Hello, James. Now, that might sound a bit dull, but his real job is he's a Brexit expert. He is the Brexit expert, possibly. Do you always introduce your guests by saying that might sound a bit dull after explaining? It does sound a bit dull. Come on, let's be honest. Uh, Brexit expert. I am am now a Brexit expert. expert. Are you more of a Brexit than Anand Menon? Uh, No, Anand's a great guy. He's a real academic. Yeah. He's been studying this for. Years. I don't even know. He's well, he's at some sort of. He's got some spe- special institute, hasn't he? He's got some. He's sort got of... UK in a changing Europe. Yeah. And they didn't call it UK outside a changing Europe. The titles. Ooh. You know. Ooh, look at that little dig, little think tank but dig they there. Are fantastic. No, they, yeah. They are, right. Come on. Are... Ooh, you've just taken them down. You. Biatch. You are. You're gonna stir stuff all the way through this podcast. Yeah, man. I, I mean, is you're there start flame wars between is... the various Brexperts? Yeah. Is okay. there like think tank? Uh, you know, rivalry. The think tank pub quiz. Is there such a thing? Oh my god! It is the. No one comes off well from the think tank pub quiz. Is there really such a thing? Yeah, yeah. It's a competition of deep brutal. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! You know, when does this happen? Uh, around Christmas time. It should be on the telly. There must be a channel that will have that. I I think. BBC Parliament. They should have it. Yeah, but all you would do is end up horrified. That would be it's brilliant. All these people getting very sweaty and nerdy yeah. about obscure elements of policy that don't really matter to anyone, uh, just for their own self-satisfaction. Actually, it is yeah. fantastic. It is fantastic. Yeah. Did yeah. you win? Is that why you're saying that? Uh, no, I'm not even sure if we entered a team this year. Oh, oh dear. I think maybe we didn't win last year, and oh, therefore boycotted this year. It must have been a very bad result. Yeah. So yes, let's talk about Brexit. Let's talk about Brexit. Um, where do you begin with Brexit? Um, <laughs> tell you what, let's not talk about Brexit. Let's talk about the IFG, right? You're from the Institute for Government. This is great. This is right? the this what is we're the, talking about. This is the bit of the tanks. interview with like with Jonathan Ross when you get to plump whatever your push yes. whatever your album is yeah. that you've turned up to discuss. But I mean, I genuinely don't know what the Institute for Government is. Oh, okay, so you're not just playing along. No. Oh, okay. Uh, so the Institute for Government, we're a think tank. Yes. But uh, what do you do? So we uh, we make government more effective how uh, is that not sufficiently illuminating you need I mean, more than do you that really or do you just you, know, you think things and say here's a good idea to make government more effective and then you then take the government why don't you do this and then they go no nah, we're just going to do this instead so what we do that other think tanks do most other think tanks are focused on the ends of government so they'll say things like where should corporation tax be are free schools a good idea it's yeah. all what the decisions that government ought to have made right. whereas the institute for government we care about all of the stuff that sits behind that, the machine of government, the how do you run a department, how do you design a policy, how do you make your policy happen. It's all of the kind of nuts and bolts mechanics that we look at. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Yes. And on Brexit, the nuts and bolts mechanics are the really interesting bit because no one knows where the end result is going to be. So all of the process stuff is the stuff that people want to know about. Boom. Boom. Institute for Government's time has come. Institute for Government. I mean, our time, obviously, we've always been... Our time has is is perennial. Um, who pays your wages? Uh, Donors? So, yeah, we have... Um, all of it's on our website. 
we score highest on transparency. We're very transparent. Well, you'd have to. Wouldn't yeah, you? yeah. Um, so we partner with people on various projects. We get a, a grant from the Gatsby Foundation. Oh, they sound good. Yeah. But isn't the Great Gatsby made up? Uh, yes. So it's nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with that. No. I'm not actually sure uh, why it is called the Gatsby Foundation. Okay. Though I am, of course eternally grateful to it Good. for its generosity towards okay. the excellent Institute for Government. Right. Uh, okay. Well, I suppose if you're rated well for transparency, that's the main thing. Isn't yeah, it, right? exactly. Because and if, you know, if you're interested in how government works or departments or yeah. Whitehall, we are the think tank for that. And we've got yeah. a newsletter and a Twitter feed and... Yeah, but, you know, being a think tank, you could be run by some sort of evil genius who just wants to mess things up and stuff. I mean, you know, that's the trouble with think tanks. All very well being transparent. Yeah, yeah. You've got no accountability. I mean, if there's an evil genius somewhere, yeah. I haven't met them. I guess uh, the really evil geniuses, you don't even know that they're there. I thought you were going to suggest tanks. that, you know, if there's an evil genius, they're probably running a different think tank, like the Centre for Social Justice or something. No, I'm not going to mudsling other think tanks. <laughs> Come on, that was set up by Ian <laughs> Duncan Smith. You know, <laughs> right? you him on the telly? Uh, he's a Brexit expert as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, or so he thinks. It's a crowded field. It is. Right. Uh, Brexit. So. Um, <clears throat> it's difficult to we... know where to start, isn't it? It is a bit. Right. Let's start with single market. Yeah. Because people are talk, keep talking about single market. Yeah, yeah, uh, they do, yeah. Single market basically means you can flog things all over Europe. Yeah. And your widgets are all the same size. That's basically it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's not that exciting. And you can move around. And so if we come out of the single market then we can make British widgets that are whatever size we want, but the Europeans just won't want to buy them. So what's the point of that? Uh, so does it matter if we're in the single market? Because we'll have to obey their rules anyway, right? If you want to sell things in Europe. Yeah, so that's the that's the regula- regulations point. So yeah, well, part of being in the single market is that you play by the EU's regulations. But there are two regulatory superpowers in the world. Okay, I like superpowers. Yeah, yeah. regulatory superpowers. That's yeah, a particular I'm spin sort of on the superpowers. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. Superpowers makes it sense. So the regulatory superpowers yeah. are the US and the EU. Right. And both of them have been engaged in a game of trying to make sure that their standards, right, their way of making widgets, yeah, is what the rest of the world adopts. Okay. And what that means is that whilst we leave the single market the UK is never going to be the regulatory, the third regulatory superpower. Right. And you're either playing by EU rules or US rules. Now, you can play by both a little bit, yeah, but those are the two both? spheres of influence. You can, mm-hmm. but it's then you get into... So if you imagine you make your widgets, you can make widgets for EU standards and sell it to the EU, and you can have a different production line yeah. making widgets for the US standards the same to the US. Yeah. You can do that. You just need to run two production lines, and that's costly. Sure. Can you do that just now, like while we're in the single market? Or does Brussels say, no, you have to make European widgets. You can't make anything else. Well, you can sell... So, obviously, we like the US is our second largest trade partner yeah. after the EU. So, we sell lots of stuff to the US. But there are areas where there are regulatory barriers. And that's why the new... Well, the proposed UK-US deal is so interesting. Are we going to start playing by some US rules on things? All right, we'll come on to that. I know you're very excited about the UK-US deal. Or, I am quite excited uh, If there's ever going to be one. But yeah. let's let, let, let's stick with Brexit. Yeah. So I'm not quite understanding. So that doesn't sound that badly in the single market, in that we'll still make stuff to European standards and sell them. So the, diffi- right? the difficult... So that, but that's, this isn't about tariffs and stuff, right? So single the single market is just about standards and things. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it does. It is that. But it's the, the, it's the freedom of movement of goods, right? So right. North Korea yeah. has 11 million euros of exports to the EU. 
That's it? Yeah. 11 million is... Not a lot. Not a lot. But I'm surprised. I am I am also surprised. What, what's that? I don't know. One day... Oh, come on. You can't drop a fact like that and not say what we're buying from North Korea. What are we buying? I don't know. Maybe one day you'll turn over your coffee cup and it will say Pyongyang Industries. I thought they didn't make anything. That's bizarre, right? 11 million. Well, that's anyway. That's interesting. Fact. Yeah. So, 11 million. So, you can have access... Yes. Access to the market yes. is is open to everyone. Yes, the, but membership of the single market yes is a different thing. And what membership means is that you don't have to fill out paperwork and so on when it's when it's moving around uh, and everything right. moves kind of simultaneously. And you know that because things are made to the same regulation right. as you, it's interchangeable. It slots straight into your part. So you've got to fill thing. in a form saying this is made to European standards. This widget exactly. At the moment, you just send the widget straight through the tunnel, through exactly. the tunnel. Yeah. right now the customs union yeah this is the where the money comes in right so the customs union yeah the best way to understand the customs union is to look at norway really yeah okay. how often do you look at norway in your podcasts well not that much yeah no. there's not a norwegian segment what can no. we learn from norway this week when i have smp people and they prefer iceland for some reason okay but, uh, okay let's talk about norway then. so norway is really interesting because it is in the single market yes Right, so you make your Norwegian widget. Yes. It circulates throughout the EU. Yes. Great, made to European standards. Yeah. You're off. But it's not in the customs union. And the customs union is the EU's kind of border for tariffs. Yeah, okay. And so if a good is made in Norway, great, it can circulate. It's in the single market. But if you're a Norwegian widget merchant. Yeah. And you buy your good from Russia. Yeah. And then you decide to move it on into the EU, right. well, it hasn't crossed the EU border yet because yeah, you're outside yeah. the customs yeah. union. So when you get to the border with the EU in yeah. Sweden, you have to say, this is a Russian widget, and it pays its tariff at that border. Right. You have to prove where it came from. Oh, man. Yeah. Right. And the difficulty that that introduces is that every widget that crosses the Norwegian border into yeah. Europe, the EU is like, well, where's that come from? Has it come from Russia yeah. or is it yours? If it's okay. yours, it can circulate freely. If it's come from Russia, I'm going to charge a tariff on it and make sure it fits all sorts of regulations. Right. And so Norway's in this difficulty where it has to produce a piece of paperwork oh, for everything fact. that crosses that border. And so the Nor- trade across the Norway-Sweden border takes quite a long time. And mm. there are only 10 places across the border where you can actually move the goods because you need inspectors and stuff. Oh. Whereas you can move goods between Germany and France... Anyway, yeah, okay. Ah, okay. So the customs union point is a uh, having to prove where something came from. So it's a fag, yeah. and it will cost money. Well, if you're, if you're, I mean, if you're a British widget merchant, yeah, and you've brought in a Russian widget, and then you're moving it into the EU, mm-hmm. you don't have to pay a tariff, do you, or do you? If you, yeah, yeah, if you would have to then pay the you tariff, would. and you might potentially, the UK might have its own tariff. So you might have paid a tariff okay, yeah. as it came into the UK, and then the tariff is paid as it goes into the EU. Right now, as a member? If we left. Ah, if we left, yes, yeah, so at left. the moment. At the don't. moment, at the moment you don't. At the moment, ah, just, yeah, so at the moment we're inside the customs yeah, union, yeah, yeah. so okay. it crosses the border when it arrives in, in, Britain. in right. Britain, and then it's you're away. I see. Yeah. Um, and I the think. customs union is most interesting if you are if you're a manufacturer who makes things, and your supply chain is split across the channel. So you might make a car, yeah. and you make the drive shaft, and then you send it to Rotterdam, and they add the wheels, and then they send it back to you, and you add the engine, and you send it back to Rotterdam, and they add the chassis, right. and so on. So it goes back and forth and back and forth. That's a stupid way to make a car. But they do it. 
That is how things are made, yeah. Why not just make a car in Britain, though? So that's what will happen once we leave the EU, right? You have to get your wheels from... Well, you can still go back and forth. It's just each time you go back and forth, you have to prove that there aren't Russian bits in it. Yes, so So it slows things down. So you make your car in Britain. But the, the UK doesn't really, or most countries, don't really make a thing anymore. They don't make a car. They make the bits of the car that they're best at. That's, right. We've all specialised so much that we... So no one makes a plane. No. Airbus doesn't make planes in sure. Toulouse. It makes the engine in Bristol. It makes yeah. the wing in Wales. Yeah. It makes bits of it in Hamburg and it ensembles in Toulouse because Bristol's best at the engine and Wales right. is best yeah, at the yeah. wing. Okay. So you specialise. And so, yes, you can make all of it in Toulouse in the same way that, yes, you could make a whole car in the UK, but that's the less efficient way of doing it. Other people are better at doing some bits and we're better at doing other bits and you just want to assemble them at the end. So the Brexiteers want to go back to a scenario where we just make cars in this country and things are really inefficient, like they were in the 70s, basically. Well, the, the counter-argument is that if we can smooth all of these things over, if you can smooth down the paperwork... We already have by being in the EU. That's not a counter-argument at all. That's not an argument for leaving <laughs> but, but the maybe, EU. But maybe you can minimise those potential difficulties and then, what the argument goes, you could sign free trade deals with other people, Yeah. like the US. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. We'll come back to the US. Yeah. Calm down. Uh, and, it, but when... and then you might, start, you, you, know, you might start making bits of other products with other markets. Um, That's the counter-argument. Would you get... Would you get a better trade deal with the US as a non-EU Britain or as an EU? Surely the EU is in a better position to get a better trade deal because it's bigger. It's got more leverage. That's a great question. So the EU, the UK, the US, America, tends to do trade deals really quickly. It can do them in like a year and a half. Really? And the reason for that is because it's always trading with people so much weaker than itself. Yeah that they just adopt a tactic of capitulation, yeah. masquerading as negotiation. Okay. Uh, so the trade deal with Jordan, the yeah. US took four months to do that trade deal. Right. Because the US just pushed its version of the trade deal across the table. Yeah. And the Jordanian said, let's cross out tobacco and alcohol. Fair enough. And they're away. Okay. So if the US is doing a deal with a weaker partner, it does it very quickly because it just dictates terms. And basically everyone's weaker than America. Yeah. Apart from Russia and the EU. So then they've started doing this trade deal with the EU, trying to negotiate TTIP, TTIP, which has been rolling on for years. Yeah. And one of the reasons it's been rolling on for years, it's the first time that America, and also for the EU, which has a fairly similar negotiating tactic to America, which is dictate terms. Yeah. It's the... It's the first time they've come up against someone of kind of equal market right. weight. And also, yeah. they're the two regulatory superpowers. Yeah. So they're also enmeshed in all of these really difficult regulatory issues, where again, they're used to just... It's like Captain America things. Civil War. It's, um, yeah. That is actually the analogy that I think the country has been searching for yeah. to understand like TTIP. Superpowered superheroes. It's a shame that we struck, on that, each other. we struck on that analogy just as TTIP might be about to become irrelevant. That is true. But... Uh, but we're going to have... With the benefit of hindsight. UKIP instead of something. No, Transatlantic Trade... UCAS. UCAS. We've got UCAS. That's the university people. Yeah, yeah, but UK, that. US. That's oh, how the US tends to do conf- it. The, Their career deal. All the students deal. will get confused then. I think... No, yeah, I don't okay, well, we call it USUK. Yeah, ooh, no, you suck. That's not going to work. Yeah, that is terrible. That's, yeah, no. Um, yeah. But we are going to be a weaker 
partner in this deal with the US, right? Uh, potentially, but the other way of looking at it is... I mean, potentially. They've got, like, 300 million people. We've got 50 million. Yeah. We're, what, are we the fifth biggest or fourth biggest economy in the world? And they're the first. So they are... So everybody's weaker than them. They are seven times larger than us. Yeah. But the other way of looking at the EU experience is that the EU and the US haven't done a deal. And yeah. maybe they can't. Maybe their interests are too entrenched. Right. That they just couldn't get an agreement. So comparing, a what? So we can bow down to the Americans. So this is a good thing, <laughs> right? That's what you're saying. If you think a U.S. trade deal is a good thing, the ability to get one, but the ability to get one by just kowtowing, <laughs> that's not a good thing, is it? I mean, that's basically what you're saying here. Well, the other thing is that we are uh, the EU is a really cumbersome negotiating partner. So. Yeah, putting to one the side, EU is just cumbersome. Full it's, stop. it's cumbersome, full stop. But if you think, if you're the EU, if you sign a trade deal that touches on anything that member states still have some responsibility for, which is actually quite a lot. Yeah, so if you sign yes. a trade deal that touches on uh, audiovisual services, so cinema, yeah, which trade deals tend to, yeah, or on portfolio investment. Right, cinema, stick to cinema, yeah, stick, stick to, to cinema. cinema. Yeah. Right, right. So if you sign one of these deals as the EU that touches on something a member state does, then to sign off that deal, yeah. you need the European Council, so the member states, to agree to it. You need the European Parliament to agree to it. But then, because you're touching on stuff that the member states do, right. you have to go to all of the national parliaments. Yeah, okay. They have to vote for it. And there are 11 regional assemblies yes. that have been given powers over trade. So right. you have to go to them as well. Yeah, And so... The number of people who can block a trade deal from the EU perspective is very long. There's a lot of, okay. you know, you're trying to thread many, many needles. And that means from the EU's perspective that when it's trying to do a trade deal, it just about figures out what would satisfy that long list of potential yeah. veto players. And then it goes into the trade deal and says, well, I could get this past them. But really, my ability to make concessions is zilch right because i don't want to have this fight all over again yeah and so it means that the eu is a very cumbersome negotiating part and the uk doesn't have all of those interests right but the uk has to now negotiate with the eu yeah well that's a bit of a problem Mm. so as i understand it if we want to try and get a trade deal with the eu before we leave yeah we can't make a deal with the us until we leave so you can't sign the deal with the US, but you probably can negotiate it. Really? I thought you weren't allowed to. Well, it's a, it's a legal grey area. And oh, okay. thankfully, what? I'm not a lawyer, so I'm okay. not going to subject you to the intricacies of it. I thought you were going to say, thankfully, we've got Dr. Liam Fox. <laughs> and I can think of nobody better to handle the minutiae of such things. Um, so, but we, we can probably negotiate it and then... Leave like an um, of, I'd like to comment on Liam Fox, but I work for the Institute for Government, so I'm not allowed to have an opinion. Was that? Are that? you going to pick up all of was my that arms? That, um, Is that what's going to happen? I just thought I could hear that in that um. It's like, oh, oh, I can barely I think, resist biting I, on Liam Fox. I, but I, I think I'm sometimes you to. hear you hear things in my arms that you want okay, to hear. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Department for International Trade, yes. which Liam Fox runs, yes. is very interesting, but does nothing. Well, they might have this deal to do, and they've got lots of other stuff to okay. do in the meantime. So. Uh, they've hired a lot of people. Have they? Because this is where, this is where obviously the Institute for Government is getting very excited, I assume. Oh, 
But yeah. you've got new departments and yeah. new stuff for these departments to do. Yeah, yeah. And they're all going. There's some discussion about whether they've got enough civil servants. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so in general, if they manage the war, we can manage this. Yeah. Well done, the war. <laughs> yes. Let's all, let's all talk about the war. I no. wonder when the war stops being our reference point. Like, uh, well, as not a country, yet, according country. to no. uh, our leading politicians. Apparently. So we've got this new department. Department of International Trade. Yeah. And the general rule of thumb is that making and breaking departments is a distraction. The jargon is they are machinery of government changes. A distraction in the sense that the politicians do it to distract. It's or a, it, it just, you know, as a byproduct of doing it, it distracts from actually getting on with business. Exactly. Right. The second one. Because at the end of it, you've still got the same civil servants doing the same job. You're right. But they're it different just takes. It, yeah, you've just got a different set of silos, but frankly, it costs about £15 million, just the churn of setting up a new department. And then it takes kind of two or three years for this new group of people smushed together to start yeah, acting coherently. Start. Okay. So with DIT, you've got this Liam Fox's band of merry people yes. thrown together, hiring people quite quickly, right. flying around the globe, figuring out how all of this works and what their job is for the next two years. And they might be doing negotiations, like with the US. Right. But there are other aspects of trade policy. That's the start of a sentence to get all of your yeah, listeners yeah. excited. There are other aspects of trade policy. So, for instance, there's this thing, trade defense. What's that? So, trade defense is when we think that another country is unfairly subsidizing exports to us right, okay. in a way that undermines our yes. own domestic producers. <clears throat> okay. So, classic example is Chinese steel. Yes. Chinese steel is very, very cheap. Yeah. But is it cheap because they're very good at it, or is it cheap because the state has unfairly thrown loads of money at it? Because if it's good, if it's cheap because they're good at it, then fair enough, that's competition. If it's cheap because their state has ploughed loads of money into it, that's not fair. And so then we would retaliate with trade defence measures. Okay. Which is where you impose a extraordinary tariff on the Chinese steel in order to bring it back up to the level that you think it should be. Uh, okay, so Liam Fox is going to go to war with the Chinese on this type of stuff. Well, we might. So we, the EU currently does trade defence for us. Right. So it has, for instance, a 74% tariff on Chinese steel because it thinks not being fairly produced. Okay. And if you're the Department for International Trade, if you want to carry over any of those oh, protections... Right. Given everything you've just said yeah. about America and EU doing deals, so we've got to do a deal with the Chinese as well, right? Uh, yeah, people have done deals with Chinese. New Zealand has a deal with the Chinese. All right, but the Chinese are just going to tell us to, right? I mean, like you said, they're going to go, here's the deal, take it or leave it. Well, right? so China's quite interesting because it's... And if you don't like it, we will blow up Hinkley Point C. Well, now your previous guest was Tom Greatrex yes. from the Nuclear Industries Association. Indeed. A sterling, wise individual. And, and he would tell boss. you, and, yeah, and he would tell you that there was no threat of that, of course. He did tell me that. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> But at that point, I hadn't really thought through the fact that we've got to do a trade deal with them. Now, it makes more sense why the Chinese want to get involved in technically important things. Well, China's quite new at doing trade deals. That's so, true. So one of the... What, so Liam Fox could uh, outfox them? Is what <laughs> you, I think, are the first person to say Liam Fox outfox. That's... I might actually be, because, you know... So we've invented a, a few new things. So we've invented the name for the UK-US trade deal. Yeah. You suck. Yes. We've done that. We've yeah. come up with a new way of describing Liam Fox's behaviour. Yeah. Um, so China is sorry, China is relatively new at making trade deals. So the US has been doing it for a long time and the US has figured out what it wants. 
And so if you look at the different deals that it signs, they are I very, think the very similar. probably worked out what they want as well. Well, but then if you look at the Chinese deals, they're kind of, they're very different from each other. Their deal with New Zealand is very different from their deal with Switzerland is very different from their deal with Australia. And maybe it's that they're tailoring it each time. Oh, but it's more likely that they're kind of still finding their feet slightly in terms of identifying what their interests are. So um, you're suggesting New Zealand got in there first so they could trick them into getting everything they wanted and the Chinese were outfoxed by the New Zealanders. The New Zealanders are very good at trade. Really? Yeah, I, I know. How can they, they can't be that good? They haven't got that much to trade. Well, actually... There's only a few of them. So their, their trade deal with China... Two-thirds of New Zealand's exports to China are sheep, are timber and milk. Really? Yeah, it's just it's just. But it's still not much because there's not that many of them. But that's what China wants. China wants some wood and wants some milk. Really? Yeah. China must be a big place. They must have a lot of wood. What are they doing importing wood? Liam Fox might be able to trick these people quite successfully. <laughs> New Zealand has tricked them into buying New Zealand wood. I told you New Zealand's good I at mean, trade. I've never been to China, but there yeah. must be loads of trees there. I don't know about China either. There's some sort of issue with old, uh, like, China and milk and stuff, isn't there? Mm. Like They had a health scare. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're always having dodgy, yeah. Well, I don't know about the milk thing, but the wood thing sounds like the New Zealanders have totally taken the mickey there. They're good at trade. And now Liam Fox is talking up, going, oh, we're going to, he was, that New Zealand Prime Minister was over here the other day, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's at it, that boy. He's going to go and trick us. <laughs> have you warned them? Have you... Are you, are you standing uh, up, stirring up anti-New Zealand hatred? In the Is Institute that the... for Government, are you able to like contact Number 10 or Liam Fox and go, uh, just be careful, that New Zealand, they're well tricky. Strangely, the nature of our output tends not to be pointing at other nations around the world and going, oh, right, watch I'm, out for I'm them. paraphrasing stuff. <laughs> but clearly, you've studied these deals. Yeah, we are going so to produce a look, report. You might want to be aware... Yeah. Of how other countries do deals. Yeah, yeah. And so we are doing that. You know, that's a watch the New Zealand. That's the fun research project I'm working on at the moment. Yeah, it sounds like it. So you've studied all these really boring deals <laughs> between China and New Zealand. I mean, not even just between the EU and other countries, but between like Jordan and America. Yeah. And China and New Zealand. Yeah. Well, working in a think tank suits me. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, uh, if that's that's what floats your boat. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're on uh, picking on other countries. Uh, where are we going next? We're going to go with the EU punishing us. Right. Is that going to happen? Uh, so I think probably punishing is an unhelpful bit of language. The oh, it's quite a good bit of language if that's what they're going to do. Yeah, but I don't think that's how the I don't think that's how the the, the thought process. Is. So when people describe the punishing us, yes, people who think like that, the punishing us terms. Yeah. If you push them, what they end up saying is that the EU won't want it to look particularly cushy. Yes. Which isn't quite the same as punishing. Well, I, I, he's also, frankly, mental because it, it's a it's a fundamental misunderstanding of Europe. The idea that because we've left, lots of other countries are going to leave, fundamentally misunderstands the way Europe feels about the EU compared to how we feel about the EU. Yeah, yeah, right. It, it does it, tend to assume that everyone is moronic little Britons who don't understand <laughs> that Britain has a sort of fairly unique relationship with the EU and that we're mm-hmm. very suspicious. Partly because they're all obsessed with the war, whereas we're they're obsessed with the war and being a really bad thing. Yeah. So it's really good to be the EU. The idea that suddenly the Greeks are going to go, oh, look, Britain's left, let's go. It's just nuts, right? Well, I think so. I think it's less that the... It the, is. The challenge and the and EU Menon side. would say it was nuts. He'd come on here and say it was nuts, right? 
And you know what? If Anna Menon is your next guest, I promise to listen to the podcast. Oh, well, I'm gonna have to make that happen then. Sure. <laughs> He's got his own podcast, doesn't he? I don't know. Anyway, okay. So the, so the challenge is not whether the EU punishes us. I think it's whether the EU can agree amongst itself what it wants to give or what it wants to negotiate. So. Going back to the point we were making earlier about all of those long list of veto players, yeah, and you've only got two years in which to do this deal. That's Theresa yes. May's timetable. You've only got two years in which to do this deal. Can you find agreement amongst all of those players inside two years? And well, obviously not. That's insane. But all right. So, yeah, so, you can. so the example there is um, is the Uruguay round. <laughs> oh, I remember this. No, yeah, remember yeah, this. yeah. This was like World Trade, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were being sarcastic. No, I thought I you were implying this. that no one when remembers the Uruguay round. 1993. So you know, I think I think you might actually be right. It might be oh. 1992. Might be 1993. Ooh. Anyway, early 90s. Yeah. Um, and the Uruguay round, big world you trade round. Have me on your uh, pop quiz team when you do the uh, <laughs> think tank pop quizzes. Uh, Who remembers yeah. the Uruguay round? Yeah, exactly. Ten points what to that year round. Is it? Yeah. Um, so big world trade round. Everyone went. Everyone turned up yeah. in Uruguay. Although they quite quickly decamped to Geneva. So they, these rounds are named after where really? they are, yeah, um, <laughs> and then they go back to Geneva because that's where that's, that's where they nice. will live. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, apart from the one that was in Torquay, shut up. 1950s. So you're making this up now? No, no. There was a World Trade Round in Torquay. Shut up. And there's only been like nine World Trade Rounds, so Torquay. No. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't believe you. No, I tweeted it I like a year ago. I'm surprised you me. missed it. Anyway, so there's the Uruguay round. Everyone's there ready to do their deal, and the EU needs to decide what its negotiating position is going to be. Yeah. And for the EU, that's a formal process. They have, Yeah. Okay. you know, there are rules about these things. Yeah. The process is that the commission, which is like their civil servants, draft what they think their mandate is, and then they send it to the council, or the heads of the member states. All right. They have a look at it and change it, and then they send it back to the commission, yeah. and then you're away. Okay. But that process took ages because no one could agree. Right. The Uruguay round started. Yeah. First year went by. Second year went by. Right. EU's still figuring out what its position is going to be. Right. Loads of negotiation is happening. Yeah. The EU negotiator is in there, in Uruguay, and then Geneva. Yeah. But doesn't really have a mandate. So it's just having a great time negotiating what they think okay. is best. Yeah. And then the mandate from the EU comes in right at the last minute. Oh, man. And what that demonstrates okay. that story is that it can take a long time for the EU to figure out what its position uh. is going to be on things. And so we've got two years to negotiate Brexit. Well, if you count forward from the start and say, let's say it takes six to eight months yes. for the EU to agree its mandate, All right, yeah. and you count back from the end, you've got to get it signed off by everyone in yeah. the EU and go through this ratification oh, process. In the middle, the bit that you're left with to do actual negotiations yeah. might be 12 to 16 okay. to 18 months. So this is where all the elections come in as well, right? Because, and then you've got the, yeah. you know, the EU can't agree its mandate until we know who's running Germany and France and things like that. Mm. Okay. Although, uh, if you do get the mandate signed off yeah. and a new head of state comes right, in, comes in any country, country they, okay. they inherit it. Yeah. Okay, fine. But you could see why they might want to sort of um, bodge things for a bit until they know who's running the country. Yeah, and also you... Um, uh, you you tend not. It tends to be very difficult to agree deals with people as they go into election cycles, and that's because yeah. what you want to do yeah, right. is to do a deal with someone who's at the peak of their powers. Yes. Strangely, you want to do a deal with someone who's as powerful as possible because their power means that they can afford to offer you concessions. 
Okay. So doing a trade deal with a dictator is do- easier than doing a trade deal with a democracy. Yes. Because the dictator fundamentally has the power to, yeah. s- to give you things. Okay. Whereas the democratic politician is hemmed in by and all of those things. The other end of this, as you say, is that there'll be an EU or European Parliament election mm. in May 2019. Yeah. So this is going to be signed off by the MEPs. Yeah. Who are all going to want to go to their electors going, ha, 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 ha we just kicked Britain. So the, rather than going, oh, we just like gave Britain a really good deal, so please vote for me. So I'm 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 parroting uh, David Martin MEP, who I saw speak yesterday, and he was saying, "Who's David Martin? MP? He's a Tory. He's a Labour oh, MEP, and he's that's a, good knowledge he, for me there. Yeah, he's a trade expert. Okay, been doing trade for years, and he was saying that in his experience, the European Parliament, when it's coming up to an election, yeah, tends to derail something." Yeah. Or take something hostage. Yeah. Just to remind its electors that it yeah. exists. So Makes sense. in the past, in the run up, it uh, it derailed ACTA, which was a deal. And What's then ACTA? Don't see, don't use terms <sighs> like that. I actually don't know what ACTA is. Oh, well, don't bring it into the conversation then. Well, and before that, it was REACH, which are chemical well, regulations. Making things up now. Yeah, yeah. Chemical regulations. <laughs> I do know what that one is. Chemical regulations. Right. Okay. So, but anyway, there's this history of the European Parliament going into election cycles. Uh, you know, knocking stuff over just yeah, to remind people that, that it exists. Right. And <clears throat> the next elections are in yeah. May 2019. Okay. Which is two years after we begin negotiating. Yeah. Which is, yeah, another element to consider in the... And there'll also be... In the, the other Brexit element, periodic table of difficulty. The other element will be that in this May 2019 European Parliament election, finally, uh, the UKIPers who hate Europe so much will lose their jobs as members of the European Parliament. And we'll need to try and get jobs in Britain, which would be entertaining in itself. But they might have a reason to kick off and go, ah, Europe, you're rubbish, which is more likely to antagonise the Europeans to go, ah, no, you're rubbish and you're not getting a deal. Bye-bye. I think it's uh, it's one of those... There's a, lot we don't know, there's, a, there's a lot we don't know about Brexit, but the fact that some people will call other people rubbish yeah. is, is one of the givens. I think so. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what was the answer then? Are the EU going to punish us? Did we actually get I, you? Did I, you answer I, that? I think, I think rather than thinking about whether they'll punish us, it's can they figure out what they want, what their position is. Right. And then... Because yeah, that takes so time. We, so they've, we don't know if they're going to punish us because they've got to take a while to even decide what they want. Yeah, and if you think so there's this Which might be there's this tendency Britain. in the UK to talk about how difficult it is to figure out what our negotiating position is. Yeah. You know, Theresa May made this speech. Yeah, yeah. But that's months after Brexit and yeah. we had a whole department, a new department, yes. department for Brexit in the EU, four hundred civil servants. Dexu. Yes. Now had you ever made the noise Dexu before the referendum? Well of course not. That's not exactly. a normal noise at all. And now I make it all the time. So Dexu has yeah. been working on this for months and frankly, civil servants in other departments have been doing a lot of work on this, yeah. and now we're slowly arriving at a negotiating position. My point is, it's been difficult to figure out what the UK negotiating position is. It's, it's no easier more difficult for the German outside. government, it's no easier for the French government, <coughs> and then you've, they've got to find their position, and then they've got to start finding what the common ground is between them. Right. It's just as difficult for every other government to figure out what they want as it is for us to figure out what we want. But what they probably, something they could because presumably coalesce around is being horrible to Britain. Um, if they wanted to. But the, I mean, that was something that everyone could get on board with, conceivably. So I think what, what probably ends up happening... So Theresa May's speech, I think, was a, a broadly a good thing from, from a negotiating tactics standpoint. Yeah. Because it's difficult for the 
Europeans to figure out what their position is. So what you want to do is to say, well, here's my offer. And then they start reacting to that. Right. So what yep. you want to do is to frame okay. the debate. You want the other side to be editing your text. Okay. Not drafting their own text. Right. That's the get on the front foot approach. Okay. Um, and have you written that in a report somewhere? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I I, that sounds like a line you've used before. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Um, and and that's what Theresa May is doing. She's saying what I want is a free trade agreement. We'll have some kind of customs facilitation aspect right. of it. And what will start happening in Europe is that Europe now starts scrutinizing responding to that proposal yeah but we're kind of uh, theresa may i think has been successful in anchoring the debate anchoring in her the debate. Yeah. Nice. yeah um that is good think tank talk anchoring debates I like that. yeah um right listen uh I, I whatever you know it's all really interesting yeah you could sit here for hours talking about it right whether anybody's actually that's, going to listen that's to literally it. my full-time job. Whether anybody's actually going to sit and listen to it for hours, I have my doubts. Um, so, um, before we move on, let's briefly point out that you are from the Institute for Government. If you want to, presumably there's lots of reports on your website into this stuff, if you're really interested in it. Oh, my God, yeah. It. So, we have a there's a, there's a uh, Brexit part of our website. Right. The Brexit. Okay. Is that what it's called? Uh, not officially. Did you try and call it that? Yes. You need to get some better, slicker PR people because that's a good idea. I know. Take that on. Brexit with Brexplainers. Yeah. From the Brexperts. From the Brexperts. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, makes sense. You can put Brexit before a lot of things, apparently, but apparently it's not optimizable for Google search terms. No one's looking ah, for. Ah. Okay. Yeah. I know. Oh, I know. I know. Google. And so, yep. So there's that. We've got a newsletter which comes out every Friday. Whoa. Summarizes everything. That'd be pretty exciting. It is that exciting. Friday feeling. Get that Friday feeling. I know. It's time for the ISD newsletter. You're sat there. Letter. You're not sure if you can Ooh. be bothered to do work. But wait, what's this? It's, it's a newsletter about newsletter. effectively running government. Get in. There you go. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, and you've all got Twitter feeds. And we've all got Twitter feeds. And lots of other people. And we have great events. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't I get invited to them? Oh, oh, oh. Look at that dead air. I can a, see it on my screen here. There's like a big sudden a pregnant flat pause. line. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously I'm going to get invited to them from now on. Yeah, I'll, I'll really make sure events? that's changed. I mean, are you talking about like you know, think tank pub quizzes? Because obviously you think that's a good event. Other people might. Uh, disagree. We had uh, we had Andy Haldane, chief economist at the Bank of England, yeah. talking about whether economists have got it wrong. We had all of the living cabinet I mean, secretaries. Do you really think that's a great event? I mean, is that really your idea of a great event? You're undermining everything I, I believe no, I mean, in and I stand get, for. About. I get that for, from the point of view of the Institute for Government why you might want to put stuff like that on. I mean, but, we don't hold know, like... That is not what normal people call a great event. Yeah, but... So I'm really not going to do... Are you normal? We're not going to raise you dirt understand that that's not people's really, entertainment. Well, or, that doesn't sound like a great event either. And we've invited Bruce Springsteen and he's not coming. There's a, there's a large right. list so of you, things that people think are great events that are frankly outside our purview. In the fine. world of effective government, the best events. Right. Okay, so you do understand what a great event is. Yeah. You're not like being captured by yeah, the, yeah, the right. think tank. It's been explained to me that normal people have other interests. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's do, let's finish off with uh, my never-ending chain of questions, which is called, uh, well, it's, you can hear the jingle here. I love your questions. I love your questions. I love your questions. There you go. It's called I Love Your Questions. 
and it's got a jazzy jingle. I think that jingle's great. I think that jingle will outlive you. Yeah. Uh, right. The first question always in I Love Your Jingles is, who's saying I love your jingles? Can you guess the MP? I have no idea. Well, that, that's not I wasn't listening answer. for that. Ah, uh, well, yeah. yeah, it might have sort of... Oh, is it? Have, you ever, have you ever read No, that's like week by week. I shall ask everybody that comes on until okay. somebody gets it. Rolls over. I'm going to have to get a prize. I need to think of a prize that rolls over every week. Yeah. But I haven't got there yet. Thankfully, nobody's guessed it, so I don't need to worry about it just yet. I only actually think about it when I do I Love Your Questions. Um, the question What's last week question? from Roger Mullen, MP. Roger Mullen of the SNP was, apart from me... Who is your favourite journalist? So my answer to that is Alan Beatty. Who's Alan Beatty? Yeah. So Alan Beatty is uh, a journalist at the Financial Times. Oh, and he Sorry, knows Alan. And he knows about trade. In fact, Alan Beatty has always known about trade. And post-Brexit, we're in this strange world where um, people who know about trade are like sleeper agents. Like, they've always been here among us and we just uh-huh. didn't know because no one cared and now he's that been you'll act- tell yourselves in the IFG yeah, yeah. Oh, they're like it's like spies it's exciting yeah yeah, yeah okay. and now post Brexit the people who know about tree, trade have been activated by the mothership ah, you know okay yeah Alan Beatty has been following the EU US trade deal and other EU deals for years right he knows about things like chlorine washing chicken regulations oh or yeah something like about chlorine exactly the other and day, the rest of the world is slowly waking up and uh, Alan Beatty is incredibly informative, but also looking around at a world which is full of amateurs trying to approximate well, what he has known for years, and he's very polite about it. That is interesting because indeed there are a lot of people going on about. I mean, this is what you know. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. That's why I'm asking you about the single market, about the customs union. But there's a lot of people writing stuff, yeah. claiming that they do understand what the single market yeah. and the customs union is, and they don't really. They don't. Right? Alan Beatty's I do the real now, deal. Because you've told me. Yeah. Um, well, well, of course. Problem he is, is it's right. behind a paywall with the Financial Times, but ah, oh, well, has he got a Twitter account? He does. Yeah, oh, well, all of his best opinions there. are there. Yeah, exactly. That's and all the more sarcastic. Are. You know, they're That's a bit waspish on Twitter. That's all you, you don't need news. You just need Twitter, don't you? Yeah, uh, and podcasts. Um, excellent. And the right. IFG newsletter, and then you're set. Yes, obviously the IFG newsletter. So I'm looking forward to it later today. Um, well, well done, Alan Beatty. You are Oliver Eilat's favourite uh, journalist. You can put that on your, your Twitter handle and CV. Uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Um, what's your question you've got to now pass on a question for next week I know I'm going to have a journalist from the Sunday Post on next week's podcast I don't know who the politician guest is going to be yet so based on that what is your question you can make it a good EU one and you need to think about it quite quickly. I mean, well, I need to keep talking yeah, yeah, clearly until, until while you're think. thinking, which well, is a bit the, of a problem. The problem is that all of my uh, go-to questions are probably too nerdy. So my question might be like, what's your favourite and least favourite EU regulation? That's a rubbish question. I'm That's not a having, rubbish I, question. I can't have that because nobody's going to know any EU okay. regulations, are they? Name an EU regulation. That's quite a good question because people are always going, oh, yeah, it's going to be great when we're out the EU. You won't have so much red tape. Yeah. And then you say... Well, which bit of red tape have you got in mind? They go, ah, just the red tape. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is this red tape interfering with your life? Ah, the red tape. The red, yeah, I don't like the red tape. No, but no one's ever seen the red tape. No, exactly. It's, it's like a nonsense. mythical. Sorry, Edith, I don't want to put a question in your mind. It's up to you. What, what question are you going to pass on? Uh, let's let's do uh, what uh, percentage of, what would be your guess? How likely are we to get a deal with the EU inside two years? Oh, oh, okay. You see, that might affect who I get on as my guests. Uh, well, we'll what is the on. chance of all of this 
falling apart without an agreement? Okay, uh, that is a good question. Uh, it does also put pressure on me to do what I keep thinking I might do is do a Brexit jingle. I mean, Brexit comes up everywhere. Well, I, I need a I, Brexit I jingle. I was promised right? a jingle. That was the, that know, was the basis right, on which I was going to yeah, appear. I, know, I was going to do a posh and clever. Well, it was going to be a posh and clever jingle, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because you are posh and clever, right? Well, yeah. How that's posh? The, that's the idea. Uh, I don't know. How do you rate these things? Well, I mean, I know you're the posh one. You're supposed to be the clever one. How do you rate <laughs> poshness? Uh, you know, are you minor royalty? No, I've been on one skiing holiday. Is that that's, like a that's good not proxy? That posh. That's not that posh these days. Is that's it not? Skiing. No, that's not that good. Okay. Got... Can you ride a horse? No. Oh, well, you're not that posh at all. How many bedrooms has your mum and dad's house got? Three, four. Ah, it's rubbish. So it's not like a castle? No. You're masquerading as posh. I know. Where are you from? North London. Barnet. Hi, Barnet. This is rubbish. You're not posh at all. I'm beginning to doubt if you're clever. <laughs> are, you, are you clever? How clever are you? Well, we've been talking about uh, Brexit for a while. That's true. And you've read and understood lots of different trade deals. That's the, yeah. But that's not, is that really clever? I think it's its own form of stupidity uh, to know to what's in the New Zealand China trade deal. I mean, yeah, it's kind of sort of a weird psychological thing. Yeah. You know, but clever people would have healthier hobbies, it, I think. I mean, you have to be quite clever to stick with this stuff. I mean, I have to read sometimes, you know, government documents, and they're really boring. Yeah. Actually, maintaining your focus is quite a good skill. Yeah. Or you can just find people who have read them. Well, that's what I'm doing here, right? That's yeah, why yeah. I get you on, you see. So maybe that makes maybe that makes An me cleverer. Than, maybe that makes me cleverer than you. I don't know. What do you think? I'm very happy um, for that to be the conclusion. Uh, right. Well, on that bombshell that you're not actually posh, and but we'll we'll okay. We'll still say you're clever. Is that is that um, the revelation at the end of this podcast? Yeah, there has to be a bombshell. <laughs> Doesn't really. Um, <laughs> I will say uh, tune in next week to find out the answer to Oliver's complicated question and uh, for another Political Yetis Politics podcast um, in the meantime I'll say thank you to Oliver for coming on and enlightening us all Pleasure. which you have done and uh, yeah if you want to get in touch I am at Political Yeti on Twitter I am Political Yeti at gmail.com on the email uh, if you want to uh, raise any points of order if you want to offer me money to sponsor this podcast or if you just want to get in touch for you know say hello uh, do so and uh, tune in next week for another of political yetis politics podcasts thank you